What is truth? In June of 1974, an international and interfaith symposium was convened at the Cathedral Church of St. John the Divine in New York City. The purpose of this symposium was to confront the truth of the Holocaust in an open exchange. Historians, sociologists, psychologists, philosophers, theologians, poets, and mystics all attempted to approach the event from their perspective. In his essay entitled Cloud of Smoke, Pillar of Fire, Rabbi Irving Greenberg submitted the following terrifying baseline for that symposium. No statement, theological or otherwise, should be made that would not be credible in the presence of burning children. Now, I know this is a jarring and horrifying image to consider, but Rabbi Greenberg's working principle is most certainly an effort to move toward pain and suffering and death to better determine what is true. The truth is, that is the world in which we live, a world of suffering and death, a world where six million Jews, including one million children, were systematically murdered. What statement, theological or otherwise, do I have to offer burning children? Right now, as we are gathered together on Good Friday, on the eve of the Passover, a war is being waged under the false flag of removing Nazis from Ukraine. Innocents are being murdered. What does the faith I espouse have to say to them? Almost 2,000 years ago, on the eve of the Passover, Jesus of Nazareth was falsely accused wrongfully imprisoned, brutally tortured, and murdered. What does the life I'm living, how does the life I'm living include and respond to a rejected, abandoned, and murdered Messiah? What is truth? John's Gospel tells us that Pontius Pilate the prefect of Rome posed this question as he presided over the trial of Jesus. I would submit to you the possibility that this question is not a small historically recorded detail, but is instead placed in the mouth of Pontius Pilate to catch our attention, to provoke us to look closely at the images of truth offered in this story. The first image we're offered seems to be of the imbalanced relationship between truth and religious institution. The leaders of the religious institution of first century Judea are at the trial of Jesus before Pilate. In fact, they're the ones that drag Jesus to the palace of the Roman governor for judgment. They determined that his ongoing presence and teaching was a threat to their religion. He wasn't following the rules and rituals. He presumed to expand established traditions, transcend accepted truths, and even worse, he was teaching others to do the same. The religious establishment could not allow it. The institution needed to protect and defend its religion. Someone had to stand up for the truth. Once they arrive at the palace, however, these priests and religious leaders, pillars of ritual and tradition, 
refused to go inside. Verse 28 states that the religious leaders don't want to defile themselves by entering an unclean pagan dwelling. Their scripturally, scripturally based purity laws stress the importance of remaining ritually clean before the approaching Passover holiday. To enter the palace of Pilate would go against their religious truth. It would contradict their understanding of scripture. It would break tradition and ritual, making them unclean and unable to celebrate, celebrate properly. So rather than risk it, they stood outside and accused Jesus of being a criminal. In observance of their traditions and rituals, they remained clean. And in defense of their religious truth, they lied. But what is truth? The second image we're offered as we face this question seems to be the mutually destructive relationship between truth and empire. The word king appears nine times during Jesus' trial before Pilate. That's not a coincidence. It's not a small historically recorded detail. It's a clue, an indicator, a flashing light to get our attention. After going outside to hear the lies from the religious establishment, Pilate withdraws into his palace and asks Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? Now on the surface, we can conclude that Pilate asked Jesus this question to determine his guilt. As a Roman subject, if Jesus claimed any kingship not bestowed on him by Caesar, he would be guilty of treason, a crime that required a slow, public, humiliating death by crucifixion. The problem with our, sac our surface conf conclusion, however, is that Jesus never claims to be a king. The first time Pilate asked Jesus if he is a king, Jesus resists the question and responds, do you say this on your own or did others say this about me? When Pilate later asks again, so are you a king or not? Jesus responds, you say that I'm a king. I came into the world to testify to the truth. Jesus never answers Pilate in the affirmative. He never says, yes, I am a king. N.T. Wright calls the question laughable and concludes Pilate knows the answer before he even finishes asking Jesus if he is a king. Wright states, of course he's not a king. Jesus was nothing like Pilate's boss Caesar, nothing like King Herod the Great. Pilate sees before him a poor man from the wrong part of the country, one who had a small band of followers, but they've all run away. Jesus is a homeless wandering rabbi with no palace, no throne, no armies, and no subjects. His only crown will be a cruel and painful joke fashioned by the empire that will mock and murder him. What is truth? My sisters and brothers in recovery have taught me that a codependent relationship is an imbalanced mutually destructive relationship. Common signs of codependency include avoiding conflict, doing things you don't really want to do, idealizing someone to maintain an unfulfilling relationship, and a failure to confront pain, suffering, rejection, and abandonment.
While the intention behind codependency can certainly be good, enabling the resulting imbalance will ultimately destroy the lives of all those involved. Friends, I can't help but see the trial of Jesus in the Gospel of John, but as an attempt to expose codependency. I submit for your consideration the possibility that our history, a history that includes the Holocaust, a history that includes the unfolding tragedy in Eastern Europe, a history that includes a murdered Messiah, is rife with codependence. We have been and we still are in imbalanced and mutually destructive relationships with our religious institutions and with empire. The good news, according to the Gospel of John, is that truth eludes and escapes the institutions and interpretations of religion. Truth doesn't hide behind religious laws and institutional preservation. It cannot be contained within the confines of historicity, selective outrage, or tribally advantageous literalism. The good news, according to the Gospel of John, is that the truth reveals and resists the vanishing victory and violence of empire. Truth doesn't sit on a throne in the confines of a kingdom. It's not a king. It can't cozy up to empire. Truth is murdered by empire. The Good Friday news, according to the way of Jesus the Christ, is that truth is credible in the presence of burning children and murdered innocents because truth is there. It stands with them cries with them, collapses with them, and dies with them. Truth is there. Truth doesn't avoid pain, it absorbs it. Truth refuses to sidestep rejection and abandonment. It walks toward them, sometimes it even runs. Truth cannot turn from suffering, it embraces it with open arms. As the great Methodist preacher Fred Craddock said, Jesus didn't come out of the tomb and say to his disciples, look, no scars. He said, see the scars. Jesus is scarred, just like us, just like our world. So what is truth? The truth is, whether we realize it or not, we are people of resurrection. It's all around us, ever-present and eternal, but resurrection is not credible without death. The new thing is not released into this world without facing, feeling, and dying the horrors of our codependency. The Christ coming before us on trial absorbs our imbalanced and mutually destructive relationships with religion and empire, runs toward our tiny biblical interpretations, 
refuses our ridiculous thrones to remind us that he's not a king and dies. That is truth. Our suffering servant, our anointed one, the good shepherd. Those who listen to his voice know the truth and follow. It's the eve of the Passover. Truth is headed into the dark night, willingly walking into pain, suffering, rejection, abandonment, and death. May we listen as it speaks. May we watch as it walks. And in the name of credibility, may we follow.